Hello, hello, this is Pete from Box Office 30. I wanted to tell you all about something exciting I'm working on and invite you to be a part of it. Recently, I started a little online business selling comic books and other collectibles on the Whatnot platform. It's called Pete's Comics and Collectibles. Apt name, right? What is Whatnot, you may be asking yourself? Well, it's kind of a weird blend between Twitch and eBay. You can find all sorts of great collectibles, both modern and vintage. There's tons of different categories you can follow, and what you do is join live shows that the sellers are putting on, and you can see what they're selling, and chat with them in real time, chat with others in real time, and place bids on items that you might be interested in. Really cool, really fun, and if you win, the items are shipped directly to you. Couldn't be easier. And if you join using my link, you'll actually receive $10 to use in the app. So sign up now at whatnot.com slash invite slash Pete's Comics to get your $10. And that's coincidentally the name of my channel, Pete's Comics. So whether you're a new user or somebody who's been using Whatnot for a while, I'd love for you to come check out my stream. I sell lots of fun stuff, lots of old comics, lots of new comics, lots of other stuff coming up. Maybe some baseball cards, Magic the Gathering, who knows? Again, that's Pete's Comics on the Whatnot app. Hope to see you soon. Thanks. is a presentation of the Retro Network. Strap in, movie fans. We're about to take you 30 years into the past to explore the biggest blockbuster hits of the 1990s. I'm Pete. And I'm Michael. And, and this, this is Box Office 30. 30. Box Office 30 for November 1992. I'm Pete, and as usual, I'm joined by my good buddy and co-host, Michael. How are you doing, sir? I'm well, and this will be my last recording from a satellite location, because we're moving back into my house next week, so Excellent. Th- the next time we're going to be recording will actually be in my real office, which good would be very you. exciting. Yeah, I know. I'm really happy for you guys. I, I, I know it's always been like a tough thing moving out and doing all that type of work, so... Always feels like a fresh air when you're coming back in and uh, <laughs> not having to deal with all that nonsense anymore. Yeah, I'm, I'm done with it. I'm, I'm ready to be home. Absolutely. So, so what do we got going on? Let's, what's, what's new? What's, what's, what's popping? <laughs> well, let's dive right on into it because um, we're, we're going to try and get through this kind of quick here tonight. So let's check out what's in our new and new to you. All right, so lead us off, Michael. You said you had only one thing uh, today. 
I got one, and it's weird. And I don't mean weird by the name of, of it being weird. No, the movie Weird about the the fake biopic about Weird Al starring oh, yes. <laughs> uh, starring uh, Daniel Radcliffe. Radcliffe. Yep. Um, so it is weird. It, I mean, it's it's hilarious. I think it's very much your kind of movie like it's your humor. yeah i i think so <laughs> and there are so many people that cameo in this movie for like boop and you miss it it's just like oh look at that oh look it's jack black oh look it's a, it's this dude and it's crazy the amount of people that show up in this movie playing other characters that have like had impact on weird al's life yeah throughout the film um I will say the beginning is a little slow and it's kind of a dog in the beginning, but um, the dad in when Weird Al is a kid is the same guy that I don't know if you remember. Remember Pete and Pete? Yeah. So you remember um, there was like a, a guy in Pete and Pete that was like an inspector, like Inspector 34 that always inspected his underwear. Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. And he also played. I'm the Wiz on Seinfeld. <laughs> He's Weird Al's dad, which is pretty nice. hilarious. Um, and I will say, you know, the movie is bonkers. And I did actually fall asleep the first time I watched it. I had to pick it up and watch it again. Um, but Daniel Radcliffe as Weird Al, like, you don't think it's Daniel Radcliffe. He becomes Weird Al, which is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Um, he's actually a genuinely good actor. Daniel no, he's Rack, fantastic. Everybody's like, oh, Harry Potter, whatever. And he's good in the Harry Potter movie, so don't get me wrong. But he's really good in a lot of the other roles that he's done since. Yeah, no, he really, really like embodied Weird Al, which I thought was pretty amazing. And on top of that, um, Evan Rachel Wood of the now RIP'd uh, Westworld, the show that I'm a huge fan of, uh, she plays Madonna. And you could not tell it's Evan Rachel Wood. She looks, sounds, mannerisms, cool. everything is like Madonna. I was just yeah. like, it was crazy. I saw a little bit in the trailer, um, and unfortunately that's all I've seen so far. I actually wanted to try and – I wasn't going to go to see – or excuse me, um, New York Comic Con this year. And then I was like, well, I do have some time on Sunday. I wonder if I could go. And like, of course, like the Weird Al thing was one of the things I wanted to see. And I think it was either – then or one of the other days, ultimately I didn't get to go. Um, but I was like, that's the one thing I really wanted to go to New York Comic Con this year for was the Weird Al um, thing because he was there and everybody was there. Um, but I saw that in the trailer, like the bit with her. And like, of course, the funny part a- is Daniel Radcliffe is like very ripped, you know, which is like hilarious when you think about Weird Al. And what's funny is like you think she's only in it for a- – she's in it for a lot of the movie. A lot. Yeah. Um and, you know, it's one of those things where I can't tell what's real and what's made up. Well, certainly you, <laughs> certain things in the movie you could tell are not real. I think that's their intention, yeah. <laughs> You're like, maybe maybe that really happened or some variation of it. It's, it's wild. Um, if Radcliffe does not get nominated for Best Actor for this role, I'd be shocked. I don't think he would win. Because you, he loses himself in Weird Al, he should be nominated just for that. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing it. I, I, it was among some of my movie-watching um, possibilities this week, but I just didn't get a chance to it. So, you know, I'll check it out eventually. <laughs> what about you? Anything interesting? 
I have a laundry list of stuff, so I'm going to just kind of breeze through some of it um, a little bit quickly, so that way I'm not like wasting everybody's time on this. Sure. Um, first one I feel like I got to mention that I finally saw was Clerks Three. Oh, how um, was it? And it's fine, um, which is like not really the response you want me to say. What's weird about it is, well, um, I don't know. It's different. So, like, here's the thing, right? I think it's not a spoiler to say this, that essentially it's about Kevin Smith's life kind of ad hoc, like all told here. So, you know, a couple of years ago, he had the scare where he had um, the really bad heart attack. Yeah. And so essentially, like the plot of this movie is that one of the characters has a heart attack early into it and kind of has like a life realization, like I haven't done anything with my life. I've just been clerking this whole time. I want to make a movie. Um, and so it's about them essentially making clerks, a la how Kevin Smith made clerks. So it's very, very meta in that respect. <laughs> what I wasn't expecting going into this, because you've watched Clerks, you've watched Clerks 2, you've had like all the ridiculous stuff that happens in those, Donkey Show and everything. <laughs> and then you get to this movie, and it's actually a really touching movie at times. Hmm. So what's weird, and, and maybe you'll understand when I explain it this way, is you go in expecting one movie and you kind of get a different movie than that. And it like, I is guess that, if you go okay? into it expecting a drama, you'd probably be like, Oh, all right. You know, this is fine. But like, it's way more dramatic. And I would even say melodramatic, like extremely melodramatic at points. Like, cl- like, um, like a Chasing Amy kind of thing? Like where it's more of a drama? Even way happens. more than that because at least Chasing Amy has got like a very cutting sense of humor. This is kind of awkward. It's like everybody – it's like all your favorite people from Clerks, but they're kind of geriatric now. You know, they all look a lot older. Um, you know, even like Muse like doesn't have the energy that he used to have and he's got like his teeth have all been replaced. So he's got these like perfect pearly white teeth. So like – you just look like you're you feel like you're looking at like a like a like a mockery or or like a like a I don't know really hard to put a finger on I think they could have not done this movie and I would have been fine um it it brings closure in in some ways to the clerk's universe but it's also I don't think you needed closure on the clerk's mm-hmm. universe um it has some very funny moments, like really laugh out loud moments. It's got some real tearjerker moments. Really? And I think that's what throws me off is that like, and I knew going in that like, you know, Kevin Smith and everybody was saying like, that you're not going to expect what's going to happen in this movie that it's, it's got, you know, it's got a little bit more heart to it, but it doesn't jive right. Like the humor butts up against the drama and it doesn't mesh well. Mm. Is I guess the way I would put that. So okay. I don't know. I'm kind of like mixed on on Clerks Three. I think it's kind of low on my list from from him. And that sound you just heard was not me farting. It was my arms <laughs> in a leather chair. It was a bit sure of weird. It was. Yep. We'll <laughs> I swear, I swear, it wasn't a fart. So <laughs> next on my list, um, and you and I have talked about this before, and I'll just reiterate it again for podcast listening land. The MCU Marvel movies live action are wonderful and DC can't seem to capture that magic, but DC is awesome at animated movies. And I just finally saw green lantern, beware my power. 
Oh, I watched that too. Oh, that is on my list. I did watch it. So, uh, yeah, so that was really good. Um, yeah, really it's a little bit of a different take on the lore as we know it, although combining elements like Parallax, Hal Jordan, and, and things like that in, uh, they just kind of did it in a different way. Um, but uh, it was fun. It was really good. I, th- I think that they're really still on top of doing the animated stuff really well. So yeah, I know they've had another shakeup. Now I think, um, what's his face? The director of all the Guardians of the Galaxy James movies. James Gunn. James Gunn, thank you. I don't know why yeah. I was dro- blundered. He's now the name. CEO of like DC. Yeah, it's like team. him and another guy that's been like a writer whose name I'm just, I can't think of at the moment, are now like co-CEO. So I don't know. I'm curious to see where things will go with the two of them. My only worry with James Gunn taking that role. And again, he did an awesome job with Peacemaker. So like I could really see, you know, some stuff coming from that, but kind of like in the vein of like a Taika Waititi, he's really good at doing sort of like jerky, funny characters. And I really worry, is he going to have kind of the, you know, what he needs to bring back like a hopeful Superman and, you know, like all these sort of things that we kind of need to move on with the DC universe. They're rumoring that Spielberg might direct the Superman movie. Well, that would be cool. I mean, that would be an interesting take on it. Um, they just really need to change things. So I don't know. The other bummer then is I'm pretty sure that that also seals the fate for James Gunn over at the MCU. I don't oh, think yeah. he'll be doing any more no. Guardians or anything after that. It's just going to become Taika Waititi's baby after this. He said that the Guardians 3 is his farewell yeah. For, the, for those characters, and and uh, that's why they're doing that like holiday special is coming out. I think in Thanksgiving. Yeah. So next on the list, uh, I have West Side Story. I finally decided to give one? that a watch. Um, funny thing is, I never saw West Side Story on Broadway, and, and Michael knows that I've seen a ton of stuff on Broadway. Angie and I used to have like a TDF thing where you could go and see a lot of things cheap, so we used to just see a ton of Broadway stuff. What's kind of funny about it, like, first of all, another Spielberg movie, speaking of Spielberg, um, stunning, beautiful, like really gorgeous. Um, And for the most part, I think all the actors did well with what they had to do. But it's kind of a dated show and a dated story. Mm Because I love and, the original movie. I mean, the, well, the original like, movie is The just, one thing I guess I didn't realize, just because, again, like I hadn't ever seen the original West Side Story, either movie or show, is it's Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> like, it's it's just that put into, you know, um, actually the Upper West Side, which was fun seeing all the locations around us, um, sort of uh, setting, you know, with Puerto Rican and, um, you know, Caucasian kind of Irish, Italian, Polish uh, street gang sort of thing. And uh, the main girl that was awesome. She did a really great job. And there were several other standouts. The main guy was like, take him or leave him. Um, but it just, it's kind of feels dated. It's kind of like an old show. And I don't think they did kind of enough to, to make it feel modern enough. So there there's, that's my quick and dirty take on that. Um, one that you were pitching me to see, and I finally got around to seeing was red notice. Um, that was fabulous. <laughs> that was really good. It's so fun, right? <laughs> but what's funny about it, and I was trying to describe this to my brother-in-law uh, the other day, is I was watching it and I was like, all right, first of all, it's a popcorn flick, you know, check your head at the door sort of thing. 
but I was watching it, watching it, and I'm like, that's so stupid. That doesn't make any sense. That's dumb, but it's fine. You know, it's whatever. And then there's a twist, and I won't say any more than that, but there's a twist towards the end of the movie that all of a sudden fixes all of the plot holes. And I've never seen a movie do that before, mm-hmm. where it's like, wait a minute. And like, you know, probably somebody a little bit smarter than me would have seen it coming, but. Like when the twist comes around, it's like, oh, all those dumb things that didn't make sense all of a sudden make sense, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'll say no more than that because I don't want to spoil it for anybody if they haven't seen it. But um, that was one of like the weirdest reversals on how I felt about a movie nine-tenths of the way through it. <laughs> um, and finally, I had to save the best for last year. It's not necessarily in the order I watched them, but I had to save this one to talk about last. I finally saw The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. And it was oh, everything. <laughs> it was so perfect. It was exactly what it needed to be. If you're a Nick Cage fan, drop everything you're doing. Stop listening to this podcast and go watch this movie. It is wonderful. I love it so much. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's insane. It's is as meta as you could possibly get on a movie like this, Nicholas Cage playing Nick Cage, <laughs> but it's him as he's played all these roles, but he's Nick Cage. He's not Nicholas Cage. Oh my God. It is incredible. And like, again, not to spoil anything, but you start to like question like what reality you're watching because mm-hmm. there's certain things that happen throughout it where you're just like, wait, is this, the movie or is this a movie within the movie like what's going on so it's it's utterly bizarre and wonderful and i love it to death so there you go (laughs) cool all right well i i'm remiss to jump out of our our segment here um without touching um on a loss that michael and i are both feeling very heavily um right now which is that we lost kevin comroy this past week uh and for those who the name maybe is not immediately ringing a bell This man is, as far as I'm concerned, and I feel you feel the same way, the voice of Batman in perpetuity. If if you've ever read a Batman comic or, you know, seen anything, the voice, for me anyway, that I hear when I read a Batman comic is Kevin Conroy's Batman voice from animated series, the Arkham games... Uh, a plethora of movies, animated movies, and so on. Uh, he makes a cameo in the uh, Arrowverse in the um, one of the Crisis crossover events. Um, you know, he has such an impact on the you know the world of Batman or like the the just the lore of Batman and it's it's hard to say like you know even to put it into words because you know really and truly he he died he's only he was 66 years old which made me realize you know the animated series premiered in 1992 and so that means he was 36 when he became batman as in the animated show and he's been doing it for 30 years since and probably could have continued doing it if he wanted to and it's just like, it's one of those things where I don't know how to process. Like, you know, when Adam West passed away, like he was already older and I wasn't, even though I watched the reruns of the 66 series and the, and the 66 movie, um, like I wasn't alive when he first appeared on screen. 
we were kids in like our formative years of reading comics and watching TV and cartoons. And there was Batman and that was Batman's voice. And it's just, I don't know how to put it into words properly. No, a hundred percent. And it's like exactly sort of, as you say, I've been really feeling this since I saw it. Like it really like took the wind right out of me. And like, you see various people pass, um, and, you know, some of them are going to have more or less an impact in your life, depending on if it's somebody who, you know, you've enjoyed them in a lot of movies or music that they've created or, or whatever. Um, but this particular person, um, and I think in a way, it's because he's somebody who is so grounded and so real and a human a being among person. human beings. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was posting on Facebook earlier. I had a, a photo with him from 2010. I met him at um, C2E2. And, uh, you know, it, it was just like funny coincidence. It was one of the very first, I think it was the first C2E2. Yes, it and was. it was less attended overall um, at that point than it is these days or certainly than like New York Comic Con or other things. And so he had a panel at it. And Ange and I um, went to go see the panel and what was mind blowing is like we were so excited to see him. Like he was probably like the guy we wanted to see at one of these panels um, at this event. And it ended up being like a very empty room, which was shocking. But what that in turn turned out to be a wonderful thing for us was that he kind of like was like, come, come up here, sit in the front. Let, let's have a conversation. And it was so wonderful then. It was like it wasn't like one of these like kind of like. Hall H in front of like 6,000 people and the people come out and they talk and maybe they answer a question or two and then boom, they're out of there. He like wanted us all to come and sit with him and like discuss the character with him and talk with him about how it impacted our lives and how it's impacted his life. Um, and he was relating just like personal tales of stuff that was um, things that he'd experienced and fan interactions and things like that. And like I, I sort of said this in the, the post earlier, but he told this really wonderful story about he lived in New York uh, and when 9-11 happened, he's like, he didn't know what to do with himself. So he's like, I need to go down and help. He's like, if I can take a lot of the ground or whatever, I need to go. Yeah. So he got down there and they're like, we we don't want you, you know, getting in the pile, but we really need help um, serving food to the first responders. He said anything. He's like, I, you know, he's like, I'm an actor. I've, <laughs> I've waited tables before, of course. So he like jumped into the kitchen and was helping immediately and everything like this. And uh, he tells it like this, one first responder um, finally came by and, and saw him and he's like, he's like, I know you. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like, you know, don't worry about it. Like, you know, you guys are doing all this work. And he's like, no, no, no. Like, you're Batman. Like, Batman's here. And he, the guy got like super excited. And all the other first responders, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Batman's here. And he's like, watch, watch, do the thing, do the thing. And of course, he does the I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman. You know, and he does it in his full Kevin Conroy <laughs> magnificentness and like he's like the whole place just goes quiet and all the people then get like so excited and they're cheering and they're like holy crap batman's here oh my god you know like and like he basically was just saying then like it like brought like a breath of fresh air into like this tent that was full of like very dour upset you know hard-pressed people that were working yeah. and pulling you know human bodies out of the ground so um he related that that was one of his favorite things that ever happened you know, as a result of that character. And I just thought that was so poignant and so nice. And um, it's really hurt this one. It's, it's really had me bothered. And yeah, this, I this think one like got you me said, right. it's, 
Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, young, young guy, and it did not deserve it. You know, fuck cancer, seriously. Um, it had me thinking of Chadwick Boseman right now. We're recording this over the weekend that um, Wakanda Forever is dropping. And it's like these folks like this that are young and really made an impact. And again, like, all right, it's superhero stuff, whatever. But for people like you and me, like like even me and Ange, like we bonded very early into our relationship over Batman the Animated Series. You know, we were both like, you and oh, me so well. you know, <laughs> like we were sitting there in the afternoon after school, like we like early into our dating because it was still in reruns after school. We would like hop on um, like a phone call or whatever, and, like watch like Batman the Animated Series together. So uh, it's it's just a really tough loss. Um, and I think we're going to see more of these as we keep getting older, you know, sort of thing. Yeah. But he was taken too soon. And um, I, I mean, know, like, I for, like for, for, for me, tribute. Yeah, no, f- totally. I mean, for me, if there, if, if I ever see, like I said, a comic or a video game or an animated show, the voice I hear is his. The yeah. live action version that I see is Michael Keaton. Like, those are my two Batman. Like, if I had to think about it and, you know, it's just, you know, I, I, I posted, you know, he, he was on Cameo and I wish i just wish that i had like bought a cameo of his just just to have his voice like send me because he didn't like he didn't just like say hey like happy birthday dude no he like would go and really like think about it and write you something very special for each person steven who i did the ufo club with and and did wizards with he had a personalized one and it just brought me to tears watching it again and then um uh sean murphy who's doing the uh batman the white knight series he posted one that someone did ask paid for him for him and i reposted it because it just it was like wow this this guy you know and, and what's crazy about it is for those of you who don't know like the animated series was kevin conroy and Mark Hamill was the Joker, right? So he had to basically work with a legend in Hollywood. Luke Skywalker and him spent 30 years together making Batman stuff. Yeah. And it's just, we'll never get that again now. It's gone Yeah, now. And I'll tell you, for me, and maybe you'll disagree, maybe you will agree. I feel like he did for the Batman Bruce Wayne sort of dichotomy. Yes. Essentially what Christopher Reeve did for Superman and Clark Kent, which is, I think back then showed the duality of them. Well, and to date for my money, there's no actor. And I'm talking out of your Christian Bales, Ben Affleck's Michael Keaton's, whoever there's no one who has quite held the flame as close as I feel like as he has, to really creating this beautiful difference between who those two characters yes. are. And I'll tell I you agree. another one that really um, hit me recently after, after this amongst rewatching Steven's cameo and things like that, that people have been sharing around the internet is a fabulous clip. That's from justice league unlimited. Uh, there's an episode. I don't know if you'll remember it with Zatanna. Um, and I think it's Enchantress. 
The one and where, where like uh, he sings Wonder Woman turns into a bunny. Yes, yes. He sings "I'm Blue" at the end of it. Like she's like she makes it out. Like she's like I want to take the one thing from you that you've kept secret all this time. And and once it's out, nobody will be. Able, and you're thinking that she's talking about like your secret identity, whatever. And next thing you know, it cuts to like him on stage and he's singing. And even just listening to him sing that little section back, it's such a silly character moment or whatever. But it's so poignant, and it, it broke my heart the other day to hear it, listening it, and you know, in effect afterwards. So go check that out if you can find it on YouTube. Maybe I'll see if I can find um, a link to it and share it on our Twitter feed or something like that. But um, I would leave this off with saying, if you're a fan of Kevin Carmoy and you um, are a fan of his, you know, like we feel this loss with you. If you don't really know his work. Go out and check it out. Go out and watch some Batman, the animated series. Go check out some of the animated films that he um, helped make in the um, The Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, all those things. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in the meantime, we'll pour one out for him. You know, you'll be missed, Kevin. Yeah, very much so. All righty. (laughs) Now. Oh, after that, I know. I'm well, still let me uh, bring up a little <laughs> bit of box office news because I was touching um, on it just a little bit. Sure. Um, and the numbers are still preliminary at this point, but it looks like um, Wakanda Forever is on track to be one of the more successful um, Films box of the office year? openings this year. Um, I think it's tra- not it's not there yet, but I think it's tracking for like number two. Uh, at the moment, so we'll see how it ultimately ends up by the time Sunday is done. We're recording this. I have to apologize. We're sort of perpetually late <laughs> recently. I got the uh, the last uh, episode out, which was supposed to be on the second week of October on like, what was it, November 1st or something like that. Um, suffice it to say, uh, you know, uh, you can have excuses or you can have results. You can't have both, but I'm going to throw some excuses at you all. Mike and I have just had a run of poor luck lately, um, particularly on my own, my own side. I've had a lot of like weird health things going on or bad timing things. I was telling him I had um, my Drobo die on me last night, which is where I keep a lot of the backups of all my photo work and, and podcasts and things like that. Happily, it is all backed up in the cloud, so I'm going to get it all back. But it's just like one thing after another recently. So we do apologize that things are running late, but... Needless to say, we're recording this the weekend that Wakanda Forever has come out, which is to say it's already into November. <laughs> so we're already past uh, the, the two-week mark, so I apologize. But we're going to try and get things back on uh, on track eventually. But um, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Uh, we weren't able to see it this weekend, but I'm going to see if I can't uh, get out and see it next weekend. And um, it just looks really cool, so I'm really curious uh, how it does. But we shall see. <laughs> It's getting crazy reviews, so I'm I'm excited for it. I'm, you know, I'm I'm a little nervous because I'm I'm a big uh, Submariner fan, mm-hmm. and I I just I, I need it to be perfect. I need Submariner <laughs> to feel like it's like the. I mean, at I'm, least you know, I know Submariner is one of these sort of like it kind of goes like between a heel and a hero, back and forth, back and forth, um, and. I'm interested to see how they. I'm interested to see how they handle several things. I've remained very spoiler free. I'm really curious how they're going to address T'Challa being gone, um, and I, I, I'm hopeful that it's not something clunky that, you know, you get stuck on or, or whatever that would you know change how we we view this or whatever. Um, and I'm really curious to see how Submariner and and essentially the Atlanteans and the Wakandans are 
going to end up at the end of this movie yeah. and sort of where it leads from there. But uh, yeah, no, I'm pretty excited. We shall see. <laughs> we shall see. All right. In the meantime, let's uh, let's travel back in time here and take a look at our box office 30 for November 1992. All right. Welcome to November 1992. As with some past Novembers, it's a shorter list this month, but it's packing some heat. But more on that in a minute. Our top film for November is Dracula. Uh, 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 with, with, that's more like Count Count. Um, one, one this is, beautiful Dracula movie. This is Bram Stoker's not Sesame Street Dracula. Two. Two. Home Alone 2. <laughs> Yes, uh, exactly. Yes. Uh, That's got a November gross of $66.9 million. Um, In the number two spot, Home Alone 2 lost in New York with $64.2 million. And in the number three spot is Passenger 57 with $32 million in earnings. Last month's featured film, The Mighty Ducks, moves down to number nine with $15.4 million in November. Thanks, as usual, to everyone who voted in our listener poll. Thanks to the Retro Network for sharing it. It wasn't even close this month, which is a little surprising, but also in hindsight, not really surprising. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the results are as follows. Um, in third place, as it as it was, um, Malcolm X, 11.4% of the vote. Tied for second place is 14.3% of the vote, Passenger 57 and Dracula. And uh, clear and far away, our winner is 60% of the vote, Home Alone 2. So we will be going back and visiting Kevin McAllister and friends in our first true revisit to a sequel in our podcast. That's kind of cool. We've covered sequels, but we have not done both movies in a sequel. So that's kind of uh, kind of fun. (laughs) That is kind of fun. That's interesting. Um, We'll probably come around with it again when Mighty Ducks 2 comes around. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So uh, let's take a run down the list here. You want to start us off, Mike? Sure. So Bram Stoker's Dracula, like you said, has a gross of $66.9 million, uh, with a November 13th release. It was Columbia Pictures, but I thought it was something else. Maybe it was something else. Again, like, you know, what, we you always know. have to take the distributor on Box Office Mojo these days with a grain of salt because sometimes it, it is correct, it, yeah. and sometimes it's been something that's been bought or moved around or changed, and they're very bad about keeping the original. Yeah. I thought um, it was maybe New Line. Maybe it was Columbia. Who knows? I don't know. Yeah. But you know, that was a... Uh, Keanu Reeves, uh, Gary Oldman, um, there's a whole bunch of actors in that movie. Um, what's her name? I forget what the girl's name. Uh, I'm blanking, but yeah, it's a, it's a long movie. It's a good movie, but it's long and it's gory and scary. So that's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Nice. And <laughs> you want to take number two as we're going to be, sure, that's going to be our yeah, well, number two, we're going to practically skip over, but, uh, it's home alone Two, lost in New York and we'll be back in a, a minute to chat more on that one. Um, but number three is Passenger 57. Now, this movie, um, I know you mentioned this, and I know you're a big Wesley Snipes guy. I was really trying to rack my brain because I feel like I saw this, but you know, you and I have mentioned this before, and I'll mention it again. It's a 90s movie with terrorists on a plane, you know, yeah. <laughs> and like plane there's a whole bunch of those, <laughs> you know. Um, I think my favorite of that batch is. Air Force One, 
Oh yeah, um, for sure. But I, I don't know this one. Like, I just can't remember if I've seen it or not, to be honest with you. It's a good, it's fun. It's a good action hijack airplane movie with Wesley Snipes. Cause it's just, it's a fun movie. I like it a lot. Then number four is Malcolm X starring Denzel Washington with 24.3 million in uh, 1,249 screens with a November 20th release. Uh, this is one of those movies where it's so good and it was so far ahead of its time that I, I don't think Hollywood knew what to do with it because Spike Lee should have won Best Director. It probably should have won Best Picture. And Denzel should have definitely won Best Actor. And this film got none of those, I believe. And uh, it's just, it's it's a shame because it's such a good movie and it's so powerful um, that I I don't understand why it it didn't win everything at the time. And uh, you know, it's a long, long movie. Oscars so white. <laughs> that that could be that could very um, well be I mean, why. Spike Lee, love him or hate him, um, has kind of long seen the short end of the stick with some of his movies. He's done some really brilliant work. This is certainly among, you know, some of those most poignant things. This in uh, like 25th hour, probably my favorite ones of his movie. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean like do the right thing. Yeah. I mean like, you know, he's got a ton of movies that are, that are brilliant. Um, and, uh, you know, especially with this, with Denzel, Denzel is an incredible actor. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's one of these movies that probably everybody should make a point to see in their lifetime. Um, I mean, awards aside, it, you know, it's brilliant and he'll go down in history for, you know, like a lot of his work. So, um, you know, good on him, Spike Lee. <laughs> All right. Um, number seven, I really need to bring up here on the list, uh, is the bodyguard. Now, movie. So I, I know you've said, you've said that in the past to me, you've loved it and you've seen it. I have never seen the bodyguard. But what I will say is that when I was um, turning 10, which we're under a month until I'm turning 40 here, when I turned 10, my parents for my 10th birthday went out and bought me a blaster. I don't remember which brand it was, if it was Sony or whatever, but they bought the old box CD. Yeah. <laughs> um, pull a little old nineties lingo out there for you. <laughs> sets, baby. So you would, you know, you put on Z 100 and hit record on the other. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 And I loved this thing, honest to goodness, but it was the first, um, electronic piece of anything in our house that would play a CD. Mm -hmm. And my parents bought that for me. And the very first and only CD that they bought for me was, was the, the bodyguard, bodyguard soundtrack, <laughs> which if you read that as it is, is my mom bought herself the bodyguard soundtrack <laughs> under the auspices of giving it to me as a birthday present. That Needless is, to say, yeah, I yeah. went out and immediately bought a bunch of like Aerosmith and like a bunch of other good stuff that, that I still have. We were just going through the CDs the other day, but oh, um, the bodyguard, bodyguard was a hundred percent purchased for her by her and started off a trend that followed for years afterward, which is that she would buy a CD 
and stick that CD on permanent loop 24 mm-hmm. seven, like all day long, it would just be playing and playing and playing. Yeah. My mother, so, same way. And this album, we absolutely wow. heard this dopey album this <laughs> over and over and over. But I, I yeah. love this movie very much. Um, I think this is one of my favorite Kevin Cosner movies. Um, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves being up there as well. Yeah. But, so I don't know if you all remember last year when we did Hook that I mentioned about, you know, seeing it in Canada with my family. Uh, the Bodyguard was premiering in Canada around the holidays um, when this in 92 and we were up there. And in my November, family, in fact. Well, no, well, it, I think. <laughs> I love that. It was perfect just to get that face. <laughs> Sorry, I digress. That's fine. But so we're in December and my family will go to the movies, you know, when we're up there in Canada, like, and uh, my parents and everybody all went to go see the bodyguard. And funny enough, they sent the kids to see a December movie, also a Robin Williams movie, Toys. Another movie that I also absolutely hate. <laughs> I gotta give you at least on that front. I never saw Toys in Theater. I saw that down the road, and I'm sure we'll we'll have it in the list. But uh, yeah, not not his best work. I was like, I want to go see the Bodyguard. I was like, well, Ten years old. what you what you also probably could have seen, and I'm gonna jump in here and steal it because it was also again another birthday thing for me. My first birthday movie where I took friends to a, go see a movie for my birthday was number eight on this list, Aladdin. It wasn't Jennifer eight. It was Aladdin. <laughs> it wasn't Jennifer eight. No, I'm sorry to say, no, uh, it was Aladdin. And to date, nobody can change my mind. Aladdin is still my favorite all time Disney 2d animated movie. Um, love that movie to death. <laughs> I would say it, it's, it's definitely my top three. Aladdin is a fantastic film. Um, it's really one of the best Disney animated movies. So as I was just mentioning, number seven <laughs> is uh, is Jennifer eight. Um, I as remember compared to Jennifer seven or nine, yep, I guess. <laughs> yep. With a November six release with ten million dollar uh, gross, uh, I, all I know is this was like a uh, Andy Garcia movie. Hey, it's got Uma. Yeah, but I don't know anything beyond that. <laughs> I love I Uma. I don't know what John it is. Malkovich. Yeah, I mean he's got a decent cast. Um, John Berlin, a former Los Angeles homicide detective, investigates a multiple murder case in San Diego. The only witness is a blind girl to whom he is immediately attracted. Of course he is. Yes. <laughs> of course. It's not very professional of him. Yeah, as it should be. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that's all I got on Jennifer 8. I don't know anything about that movie. Alrighty. Well, uh, maybe I'll run us down um, the list here for a couple of them because I don't necessarily recognize a few of these in a row. I would say, yeah, so... 20 is Traces of Red. I got nothing on that one. Yeah, no, I don't either. Um, After that is Bad Lieutenant. Um, Nope. nope. (laughs) Now, um, this next one seems super familiar. I just don't remember if I've seen it or not. It's Love Potion number nine. I remember seeing a lot of commercials about it, but I couldn't tell you anything about it other than the fact that uh, it's got a bunch of randos and yeah i mean it's sandra bullock um is very young character in this. yeah i think i did see this i don't remember when yeah i saw this 
I, I couldn't tell you a damn thing about it, but I saw this at some point down the road. Like Sandra Bullock's like this like real frumpy looking kind of person, whatever. And then like next thing you know, she's like stunning Sandra Bullock, whatever, you know. So <laughs> I, I just don't remember like the the rest of it per se, but I definitely did see that at some point back in the day. Weird. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now I have to point out we've got not one, but two Miramaxes here in a row. Yeah. The efficiency expert and the crying game. Now, the efficiency expert, I don't recognize, but the crying game. Everybody knows the crying. Um, everybody knows the crying game. <laughs> um, the, the crying game releases on a, for Miramax quite a few screens. One thousand ninety-seven screens does uh, yeah, weekend release. This can't be right. Does that say sixty-two? That can't be sorry. sixty-two million. It was it was a big movie, man. It was. Well, why it was, is it way down at the bottom of this list then? Because it, I think, because it was late that it would really like. Because in oh yeah, they've got it. You know what it is? They've got it written weird here. So in um, November, it only made a hundred and eleven thousand, but yeah. it's November twenty seventh, which is Thanksgiving weekend. Oh, yeah. I'm just reading the wrong column. Never so, mind me, folks. <laughs> so like it, but it caught fire when people learned about this movie. Everybody wanted to see it because it was up for all kinds of awards. Um, if you haven't seen the Crying Game, if you don't know anything about it, again, the movie that was way ahead of its time, way way ahead of its time. Um, and I've only seen it once, and it was a long time ago, and it's very confusing. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a long time. But um, it, it was it was a huge like if if the internet was a thing, it would have broke the internet basically. <laughs> big deal back then. Um, well, then rounding out our list, we've got three more here. Uh, I'm going to give a shot at saying it. Tous les matins du monde. <laughs> Your French is better than mine. It's absolutely outrageous French. <laughs> um, becoming Colette. And finally, all the way at the bottom of the list here, Flirting, which does only $10,000 on 33 screens. It's a Samuel Goldwyn Company um, film. And this one is... Two free-thinking teenagers, a boy and a girl, confront with authoritarian teachers in their boarding schools. The other students treat this differently. I mean, like, who comes up with half of these, like, log lines for, like, these bottom-of-the-barrel things? The other students treat this differently? Like, oh, my God. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's why it's at the bottom is this is this is how this stuff is being written. I don't know. Badly marketed. All right, let's see if we can't recall our little film this month called Home Alone 2. Okay, all right, so I mentioned it already, but again, I'm going to say it again. It's a little bit mind-blowing that we're doing our first sequel episode Exactly two years after we did Home Alone in November of 2020. Where did that time go? I, when I went to write this before, I was like, oh, it was one year ago in 2021. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, that was in our first year of doing this all the way yep. back in 2020. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Mind blowing. Um, anyway, Home Alone 2 Lost in New York is directed by Chris Columbus and written by John Hughes. Now, we went over all their details two years ago on the Home Alone episode, so I'm not going to go over them again then because, come on, everyone knows these two. And plus, just go back and listen to our old episode first. And literally almost the entire cast is exactly the same as the last time. Yes, yes. The film stars Macaulay Culkin, Joe Pesci, Daniel Stern, many others from the original film. 
But this time we also add in the incredible Tim Curry, Brenda Fricker, and Rob Schneider, among an ensemble cast of others. As mentioned, it does $64.2 million in November with a late in the month's release, November 20th. I think if this was um, released even a week earlier, it would have been our number one film this oh, week instead sure. of Dracula. Um, goes on to make $173.6 million total domestic. Wow. And $185.4 million international for a worldwide gross of $359 million against its $28 million budget. That's $10 million more than the original Home Alone had in this budget. Wow. Making it a huge box office success. Now, to compare it to its predecessor, Home Alone, Home Alone made $285.8 million domestic and $191 million international for a worldwide gross of $476.7, wow. a difference of $117 million in favor of the original, but still a wild success for the sequel. Compare it also to the utterly awful sequel, 1997's Home Alone 3, which only makes $79 million worldwide. Wah, wah. <laughs> It was also followed up by Home Alone 4 taking back the house in 2002, which it was made for TV airing on ABC. Home Alone, The Holiday Heist in 2012, also made for TV, airing on ABC Family, now the Freeform Channel. And finally, Home Sweet Home Alone in 2021, produced for Disney+. Plus. Did you ever see that? I wouldn't waste my time with that. <laughs> yeah, I never got around to seeing it. Um, Home Alone 2 received actually surprisingly largely negative critical reviews at its release and currently has a 35% tomato meter on Rotten Tomatoes with a 62% audience score. Really? Yes. Uh, you know, I think a lot of the, um, the charm Cecil of the original. And, and et cetera of the time thought that it was rehashing too much of the oh, original it's the same plot. movie twice i mean uh, what i was of- surprised by looking at some of like the little like bite-sized things that i was reading through before this lots of them really poo-pooing the violence they're like oh this is too overly violent you can really feel it when they smash the ground or this and that and i'm like yeah i get that but it's also like that's kind of like i mean like god the stuff in the first one was brutal too you know like the nail on the foot and like on the head like you know and it's like and in a way, for a kid's movie, yeah, that is kind of like gnarly, but... But in filmmaking terms, the sequel always is supposed to raise the stakes. That's the whole yeah. point. Right? I, like, maybe I don't know. Maybe that's where they failed. Like, I don't know that this movie necessarily did that. In some cases, I do think a lot of it is like retreading familiar ground in a different location. So I will give the critics like that consensus. But that being said, it's like a perfectly watchable movie. It yeah. has some heart to it. Um, and it's fine. You know, they didn't need to make a third one or anything else after it, but you know, and it has a lot of charm, you know, utilizing New York city in a, in a unique way. I mean, even though it's not really central park where they film it, but it like, you know, they, they play it off as that, um, you know, they, they do a lot of cool stuff at the Plaza hotel and, you know, there's a lot of good jokes in it. And, you know, I think that he, the interesting thing about Home Alone 2, without even getting into it too deeply, is theoretically there's two villains, you know, because he's up against Tim Curry and he's up against, you know, Joe Pesci and and, and uh, Daniel Stern. So he's got like two things to overcome. And, uh, you know, I, I like that. about I like that more so because it feels like he's 
really in, a, in an awkward position, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, I know we've moved on to the sticky bandits in comparison to the wet bandits, but like, you know, the two of them are kind of there for the exact same reason they were there in the first one. I do like the idea that they like escaped prison and, and like, of course, the first thing they do is run into him in New York. Yeah. Very unlikely, but but very funny. But I love Tim Curry in this movie. I love that. I, I mean, like Tim Curry plays such a great villain in so many different movies. Um, but it's it's such a great character. And I just, as you say, like he's like, he, it's wonderful that they added that sort of second antagonist into it to be a foil for Kevin. Um, and, uh, I, I just love how snobby and awful he is. Um, but yes, very great. So, um, I mean, we've already sort of started diving into it a little bit, but, um, do you have a recall of, of Home Alone and the plot of the movie? I mean, of Home Alone too, sure. So, you know, this time they make sure to remember Kevin, but the, the wackiness of this film is the fact that the dad asks Kevin to hold his bag with, you know, all their passports and, yeah. <laughs> and like, oh no, not passports. Cause they're going to Florida, but like all their travelers. Checks no, they were and, going to France in this one. You are absolutely right. They had all their passports and everything. They went no. to Paris in this. Was it Paris? Florida's the first movie. This one, they go to Paris. Oh, okay. Maybe it was. All right. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, for whatever reason, he's never like, doubt Michael Canetti. <laughs> So, you know, he's got all the passports, he's got all the traveler's checks, he's got all this stuff, and he has his, you know, 11-year-old son hold the bag. And, you know, they're running to the airport because, again, they oversleep for, you know, whatever reason. And uh, Kevin follows the wrong dad with a similar trench coat and ends up on an airplane to New York. Sight unseen, no one checks his ticket or whatever. Just no, because and trying to remember, I think he had gotten like a like a talk boy. Yes, and what happened was he sees the guy with the transcript running onto the. I was like, oh, that was my dad. He just ran in. I got and he runs in behind him. Yeah, like, you know, these are getting. Which- which is like actually surprisingly realistic back at that point in time. And by the way, I don't know how I pulled the name of that talk by out of my ass just now, because I just had to look it up while you were saying that. Cause I was like, is that what it was called? And that's exactly what it was called. Yeah. I can't believe I, yeah, I guess instead of walk man, it's talk boy. Um, but I wanted one of those so bad after seeing that movie, and he uses it to like such effect throughout this. It was like the biggest product placement. And the funniest thing about that thing is, it, I, I never had one, but I knew people that did. The quality of the audio playback was nowhere near as good as No, of me. course not. <laughs> like, one hell of a microphone. They got yeah. <laughs> but, but um, you know, so he ends up in New York and he gets out. Of, I guess, I think it was JFK. Maybe it was LaGuardia. I'm not really sure. And he somehow hails a cab and ends up at the Plaza Hotel. And, you know, he's got all this money with him and all these credit cards and traveler checks. And, you know, he just checks into the plaza. He's like, yeah, he like puts it like under like his, he's like, Oh, like my dad is um, here on business and I'm with him. And like, they like keep playing. He's like this like mysterious character who like sneaks in like at night because he's busy working and all this sort of thing. (laughs) I think he like records something of his dad or like he manipulates his own voice with the, with the talk boy. And then he calls to make a reservation and then shows up like five minutes later. He's like, I'm here for yeah. reservation. It's like, okay, great. Yeah, like he's doing like instant editing on the talk boy, like like fast forwarding or rewinding it to like get like perfect exactly like where he was saying like, yes, you know, like whatever. No, charge my card. Yes. 
And, um, you know, so he's in the plaza. He's milking his dad's credit cards for all he's got and all his cash he's got on him. And, uh, you know, you know, chaos ensues. You know, silliness happens. Uh, Rob Schneider has to iron the kid's underwear for some reason. <laughs> and, uh, you know, gets a limo with a pizza, a plain cheese pizza, because he's because he didn't get his pizza in the first movie. Yep. Plain cheese. He brings him to a toy store. When I was a kid, I always thought it was going to be FAO Schwartz, but it's some made-up toy store, Duncan's yeah, yeah. Toy Chest. Duncan's, and it's basically yeah. like, you know, a toy store for the uber-wealthy, and it's always like unique, you know, artisan-style toys. And he meets Mr. Duncan, and becomes friendly with him, and uh, gives him two doves. and uh, Turtle doves, yeah. So if he made like a uh, donation, he gets like the little turtle doves. Yeah. He tells and, him how significant that is because you, you keep one and you give one to somebody that you care about. Right. And, uh, you know, he catches qu- uh, he catches wind that the sticky bandits want to rob the place on Christmas Eve and take all the money. And he's like, nobody steals from kids. On can Christmas. I put a pin in that really quick? Because I love, love, love that the whole thing is just that Marv has his hand like duct taped in reverse. So he just like sticks it to people's. (laughs) I want that scarf. That's so brilliant. Yeah. It just like yanks it off the people and like, they don't even recognize it. Like it's like (laughs) New York. No one cares. It's like the height of pickpocketing is not even like, like he's sneaking in. It's just like blunt force sticking to stuff and (laughs) yanking it. I love it. Um, so, yeah, so now he's got to figure out how to protect the Duncan's toy chest, but he's also kind of on the run from Tim Curry and the, and the staff of the plaza because they find out that the cards are listed as stolen because the dad, you know, flags them as stolen. And, uh, you know. He's, like, getting freaked out. I forget exactly which point he meets her the first time, but, like, the pigeon lady in the park. And, like, she keeps, like, scaring him, a la, like, how you think he would have learned his lesson from the first movie that, like, you know, like the, the weird old person is probably going to be the nicest, helpful person. <laughs> I mean, it is funny. It's basically the entire first movie copied and pasted and then just like tweaked, you know, yeah. for all intents and purposes. Um, I love that they recreate the um, angels with a filthy soul yes. scene with angels with even filthier souls. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, he has the inflatable guy like in the bathroom and like Tim Curry and all them like getting freaked out and like stumbling out of the room. Maybe the highlight of that movie. I love that so it's much. Still, it still makes me laugh to this day. It's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> because he like turns him, he turns the dummy and everything. It's like, how does this kid figure this out? He should be an engineer for some reason. And then uh, he's trying to like bum at his um, aunt and uncle's place, which his aunt and uncle just somehow own like an entire like townhouse, but it's yeah. under construction there. Away. Brownstone. <laughs> yeah. And so like he starts um, setting up his, his new like trap house in there for the two criminals. <laughs> it, it again, begs to question, what does Kevin's dad do? And what does his brother do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand it. I don't understand. What does his family do? So, you know, obviously long story short, you know, he, he, Battles the sticky bandits. He defeats them with you pigeons. Know. Yeah, so <laughs> pigeons no less, and and, and throwing. Because they've got a gun in this one, and like they chase him into the park, and they're going to shoot him, and like she like unleashes, she like throws the bird food down, and like all the pigeons unleash on them, and you get like Marv doing that. Ah, 
like scream that he does again. So brilliant. I love and then it. The family shows up at the hotel and uh, they get into basically the presidential suite and the movie ends basically. That's it. There you go. I've got one more piece of recall to add to this, which is the Home Alone 2 Lost in New York video game for the Sega Nintendo Entertainment System. Or no, not Sega, it was Super <laughs> Nintendo Entertainment System. I'm telling you, I'm slipping at this point. Your brain um, is done. Uh, my buddy Trevor and I and Chris and I played that for hours. And it was another one of these games in the vein of like E.T. the Extraterrestrial for Atari where you're doing things, but you're not really clear on what you're doing or why you're doing it. And it's really hard. <laughs> like there's not much payoff and it was awful, but I have to give it a little shout out because we played the hell out of that <laughs> trying to get somewhere in it. And it was so stinking hard. I think he said to me at some point that he beat it. Um, I don't, I, I never did. Um, and I think I went back on like angry video game nerd and watched, uh, I think he did a, a movie on like the um, – or not a movie, like a video on the Home Alone games, and I think that was among them. But, hmm. yeah, just uh, utterly ridiculous game. But I remember playing that that year when that came out a ton, trying to figure out what the heck we were supposed to be doing. <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> You're not one to not give up on a game. Like you don't like. Yeah, no, we had other games like we like I think last time when we did Hook, I mentioned we played the Hook game a ton. And like that one was hard, but we played it and played it and played it until we got to the end. And we finally beat that one. Home Alone, at least my time with that, we uh, we gave up on it because it was just ridiculous. Um, so, the uh, trailer for this uh, this bad boy. Yes. Box? Yeah. Let's take a look at the trailer in our preview review. All right, I'll count us down. Three, two, one. Love a good Christmas music. Hey, yeah, pal. <laughs> I like that they actually have the uh, like deck the halls. Um, yeah, with like the little bouncing house. <laughs> I like the uh, sing-along videos back in that time. That's great. Like, they're literally showing all the violin parts, yeah, right? They're, they're just going through all the traps. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, let's ruin all the good parts of the end of the movie because <laughs> that toolbox going down those stairs. I was like, oh my god, that's amazing. Yes. Yeah, he had like a lot of power tools and things to work yes. with this time around. He did have a lot more violent tools that were more dangerous for sure. <laughs> but like so it's now, funny like I don't know if there's another trailer or if this was the original trailer you know this is just happened to be the one that I found for this but like this is this literally is nine tenths at the house yeah. yeah like like we literally that's that's very interesting because that's literally like just the last you know 15 minutes of the movie without anything else like they didn't spoil I, I swear there's got to be another trailer for that but who knows i'm sure there is yeah you know the, i don't know like this one i got off of um, rotten tomatoes classic trailers um so i just don't know if there was like a theatrical trailer or if this was like one of like the you know like teaser trailers earlier on or whatever but that is a little surprising it's like they felt like the only way to sell this was to do 
like to show like all that sort of stuff that you get, like where he's finally releasing all the traps on them. It's really about him and the two of the criminals. Yeah. It doesn't really show a lot of the interactions with, I mean, it doesn't show any of the interactions with Tim yeah. Curry and the hotel staff or any of the other stuff that he's doing. So it is interesting. I also think that's a, a kind of a funny way that they went with that doing the sing-along route. Like I remember like follow the bouncing ball, you know, like yeah. used to watch all these Disney sing-along VHSs when I was a kid. It's like the exact same thing. Very cute that they use the little Home Alone house icon. Mm-hmm. Very recognizable. Um, Good branding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there I you mean, go. It's <laughs> funny. I mean, like, but you'd think that's they're they're spoiling that part of the movie, you know. But I guess everyone knows that he's going to figure out some sort of traps. Because yeah, it's almost like they felt like, all right, you know, we're doing this movie again, and like as we've said several times now in this review, like for all intents and purposes. It's the they, same. Thing. It's the same thing over again. So they, I feel like they must have like said like, well, what was everybody's favorite part of that last one? Oh, well, when he was doing all the traps and tricks and all that sort of thing on them, like let's show them that again to get them yeah. hooked, you know. So I, I don't know. It's it is interesting. I do, funny enough, remember that after having watched. It, I do remember like the whole sing along thing and the whole nine yards with that. So I guess it stuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's wrap this puppy up. Uh, you want to do our big movie quiz? Sure. What do you got for me? All right. So for those uh, who are just joining us, uh, we do this big movie quiz. Somehow we haven't still got through all these cards yet. So big thank you to Jason and Mickey at the Retro Network for sending that over two years ago. Um, <laughs> so we uh, we usually do six questions, see um, how many Michael gets uh, best out of six. He's been on quite a streak lately. I feel like you've been like really hammering it out. We're gone are the days when it was like one out of six. We've been getting a lot of like five out of sixes. I think we even had a six out of six. So. I may have. Who knows? Yeah, I'm, I'm here we go. All right. So uh, let's do this. I brought out our um, comedy classics again. Okay. All right. I'm ready. Which of the following actors did not voice a character in Toy Story 3? Whoopi Goldberg, Mark Hamill, or Timothy Dalton? Ooh. I'm going to say Whoopi Goldberg. The answer is Mark Hamill. Really? I don't remember who Whoopi was, but uh, that's that's the answer, I guess. <laughs> you son of a Sorry, I know, I know. There we go. All right, well, hopefully you'll do a little better on this one. All right. May the Schwartz be with you is a line from which film? Spaceballs. Of course. Spaceballs, the movie. <laughs> and, and the never happened Spaceballs 2, the search for more, more money. <laughs> I you wish, know, I wish what that was did movie? happen to that? Because they were talking about doing that like a couple of years ago. Yeah. Now I feel like I need to look that up. Oh. They were talking about finally sequelizing that. Um, yeah, the search for more money. Can you hear my dog? It's like losing its mind in the background. <laughs> She's like wrestling with a ball on the ground like, ah. <laughs> Well, yeah. I think his son was going to do the sequel at this point. Yeah, and, I don't know. It's like it just keeps people. getting like brought up, but um, it never goes anywhere. I wanted it so badly. I was like, I want Spaceballs two, the search for more money, so badly. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it isn't happening. I, I would actually get a kick out of seeing that. I think. All right, okay. let's move I'm, on to our I'm next one, question. I'm one and one right now. All right, here we go. <laughs> Uh, one for two. Yes. What is the first name of Owen Wilson's character in Zoolander? Oh, uh, <laughs> I love. Can I just say? I, and again, I, I should see if I can find a way to giffyize it for for the <laughs> listeners. I love when I ask some of these questions because you're like staring at me, like I'm ready, I'm ready, and then you get a question like that, and you're just like. <laughs> 
It's like such Hard a brilliant face. Hard Hard he's so hot right now. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> it. Very good. <laughs> um, in Girls Trip, which U.S. city do the characters go on a trip to? Oh, God, I have no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, take, a, take a stab at a U.S. city. <laughs> a U.S. city. I mean... It's either got to be like Miami or Vegas or something like that. You were closer with Miami. It's in New Orleans. Okay, fine. I was gonna say, uh, I was gonna so say like Nashville next, but then I was like, ah, you're half in. Two out of four. Okay. What Jane Austen novel is Clueless loosely based on? Oh, uh... and actually, I think they made this into a movie in in recent years. Isn't it like Sense and Sensibility? Emma. Oh. <laughs> 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 All right. Pete screwed me. I'm really curious to see which way you go on this. You're either going to like knock this one out of the park or completely screw the pooch. Okay. Which 1985 comedy was Tim Burton's feature length directorial debut? Pee Wee's Big Adventure? You got it. All okay. right. <laughs> Very good. All right. So you got half. That's not too shabby. All right. Fine. All right, Michael. Tell them how they can get a hold of us. If you'd like to chat with us and get to know a little bit more about the show and hang out and social, all that jazz, you can go on our social media platforms, Box Office 30 for Facebook and Twitter, and Box Office T-H-I-R-T-Y on Instagram. You can go to our website, too, which is boxoffice30.com. You can go on our T Public store and get some merch if you want to. Um, we have to actually figure out how we're going to be raffling off some stickers that we got as well for some fans as well. And yeah, let's uh, let's do it as like an end of the year giveaway. I, I'll think of or we'll think of something. Yeah, we'll think by of some that sort of quiz or some sort of yeah. contest. Yeah. So you know, we want to thank the Retro Networks. You know, head honchos Jason and Mickey who give us a platform to chat and and give don't give us a hard time when we constantly turn this thing in late and uh, you know <laughs> really enjoy listening to us and and. Uh, we have a lot of fun doing it and we thank them for giving us a platform and a home to, to talk. And, you know, you can find us on whatever podcasting platform you like iTunes, Podbean, you name it. You know, if you go on iTunes, they'll give us a five star review or give us a rating. Let us know what you think, you know, hit us up on Twitter and let us know if there's anything you want us to add to the show, things that you like, and, you know, please, you know, let us know if there's anything we want to cover. Um, we would love to have you and love to hear from you. Um, but yeah, so we got all kinds of cool stuff. We got a bunch of different things going on and, uh, you know, we're looking forward to doing the review of this, which will come out in about two weeks or so. And, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe soon. It'll be out there eventually. You'll get it. I promise it'll be there. Um, but yeah, no home alones are always pretty big for us. They they get they get good uh, clicks. They, they get all the clicks, you know, all the all the listeners. Like, Ooh, the home alones are out. Um, nice. But yeah, so we got a lot of cool stuff going on. You know, I'm I'm pretty excited about this, and you know, this is a fun movie. My family will actually watch it with me for once, which is kind of nice. Yep. That's always really good. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, this was good, and this was, you know, it was different because we didn't need to like kind of tell all the origins of the movie because we've kind of covered it in the previous movie so it's more about just joking around about the film and and uh i'm surprised with these negative reviews but it's such a great comedy film that i'm that i'm i'm gonna look at it in a different way when i watch it this time but you know as always you know thanks everybody for listening and and tuning in and checking us out pete you got any final thoughts 
I believe you. But my Tommy gun don't. Ah! <laughs> Get down on your knees and tell me you love me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bye, friends. Bye, everybody. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.